morning, everyone. Well, it's summer, and that means Hollywood producers are rolling out a bunch of movies, each one hoping that theirs will be the blockbuster hit that captures the great American dollar. The competition is fierce, and so production companies do a lot of things to kind of get their movies into the public's mind so that people will go and see it. And nothing does that better than stirring up just a little bit of controversy. Stir up something that will get people blogging, or maybe you get, get you a spot on the morning talk shows, just anything to get a, a buzz going. And the one movie that has actually generated some controversy this summer is the newest Superman movie, Man of Steel. And if you're like me, I thought, like, well, what could possibly be controversial about Superman? I mean, he's got the big S on his chest. He's got the red and blue uh, superhero costume. I mean, he's as American as mom, apple pie, and baseball. Unless they totally trashed him or presented a character that was, you know, completely out of sync with the, with the traditional story. I mean, what could possibly be controversial about Superman? Well, the creators of the movie intentionally tell the story with unmistakable parallels between Superman and Jesus. And articles about this comparison have appeared everywhere from the Huffington Post to the L.A. Times, the Washington Post, and social media sites all across the Internet. I mean, the basics of the traditional Superman comic book character are given this polish to sort of accent the parallels between Superman and Jesus. I mean, think of that original story. Superman comes from another place. He's sent to earth by his father. He comes as a child who has to struggle to understand this dual identity as a person on earth, but who is not from this earth. As he grows, he learns that he has powers that others can't understand, and those powers have a special purpose. He's to use them for the good of all mankind. And spread throughout the movie are direct references to the life and the ministry of Jesus. The most obvious one, and maybe the most cheesy one too, comes in one dramatic scene when a spirit form of Superman's father, Jor-El, stands with his son and they're looking down on earth and the father says to him, you can save our son, you can save them all. And then Superman steps out into space and he hangs there for a moment with his arms outstretched, his body in the perfect shape of a cross, so that the audience has this unmistakable tie to the crucifixion of Christ. Superman, sent by his father to be the savior of the world. Warner Brothers, who released the film, is very open about how completely intentional this connection between Superman and Jesus is, is because they're trying to tap in to Christians as consumers. They even amp things up to attract Christians with a special Christian-themed movie trailer. They held private screenings for pastors. They put together a whole website with fully written-out sermons so that clergy can, you know, preach the positive messages from the film in case, you know, they have writer's block on Saturday evening. Of course, that never happens to me. They want Superman and Jesus to be connected. So why, why is this controversial? Well, I mean, just besides the fact of remembering that Superman is just a fictional comic book character that doesn't really need to be taken seriously, one thing that's got some people upset is the spiritual roots of Superman. The Superman character was created by two Jewish immigrants in 1933, a writer named Jerry Siegel and an artist artist named Joe Schuster. And for the original Superman, they intentionally took images from the Old Testament to create their hero. 
Remember Moses floating on the Nile in a wicker basket picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh who grows up to be the liberator of his people. Well, that became a space pod containing the infant Superman landing in a Kansas farm field. The strength of Samson gave rise to Superman's incredible powers. Even Superman's given space name, Kal-El, in Hebrew means voice of God. They did that intentionally. So the biblical imagery was there from the beginning, but not New Testament Jesus imagery. So Superman as Jesus, well, that doesn't sit well with those who don't see Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. But quite frankly, in our day, generally speaking, people don't want really to be reminded of the powerful, divine uniqueness claimed by Jesus. That's not the kind of Jesus that's popular in our genetic or our generic cultural pool that we swim in. For many people, Jesus is seen as a wonderful teacher of good moral values, and that's it. He's an advocate of world peace who taught everyone should be loving and kind and above all be tolerant of others and their differences no matter what lifestyle they lead. He's just kind of a non-judgmental teddy bear, a, a toothless tiger, a Mr. Rogers who was kind of soft and soothing and a good role model for little children before they grow up into the dog-eat-dog world of adulthood. Now Jesus is this bland kind of misunderstood goody-two-shoes whose tragic death serves as an example of the way the innocent suffer. He's a martyr for the cause of good, like, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or President Kennedy. Now, it's okay to see Jesus as the angry social activist. Po folks will tap into that idea to promote whatever issues on their political agenda. But generally, our American culture likes a very tame Jesus, a quaint and a benign figure from ancient history, a guy who had some good things to say, who can be honored and then easily dismissed. Yes, he is to be honored, but honored in kind of the same way we honor such religious figures as, as Buddha or Muhammad or the Dalai Lama. We just don't really invest a lot in him. He's right there in the crowd with all the others on the same level. People like Jesus. They like a lot of things that he said. They love that, you know, love your neighbor stuff. But let's stay away from this divine, only Son of God, only Savior of the world stuff. Crucified, resurrected, ascended, exalted into heaven, coming again. That's too much. Too restrictive, too offensive, too narrow-minded, too threatening. A little Jesus is okay. But let's not go overboard. The problem is, Jesus was never content to be a face in the crowd of historical religious figures. His life and teachings were marked with controversy and conflict from the very beginning. And the source of that conflict resulted from the central content of what he was teaching, that he personally was God in the flesh, the creator of all things, the savior of the world, the one who would redeem people from their sins by his own death and resurrection. The main thing Jesus taught was not about loving your neighbor. It was not about world peace. The main thing he taught about was himself, his own identity, and everything else kind of flowed out of that reality. His own divinity, that was the basis for everything that he taught. All his moral teachings and parables and sermons and stories, the basis of all that was his own identity as the Messiah. Everything else flowed from that beginning. And that's what ticked people off. I mean, listen, nobody, nobody got upset when Jesus said, love your neighbor. 
But they did get upset when he said, I and the Father are one. That's John 10, 30. And right after that, we're told that his opponents picked up stones to stone him to death. Verse 32, it says, But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. The reason we still make a fuss about Jesus being God in the flesh is because it was a big deal to Jesus. It was the main thing he talked about. It was the most important thing for him. If you try to edit that out, then you're left with this cardboard cutout of Jesus and not the real thing. The biggest part of his teaching was that he was God in the flesh. And so naturally, that became the main message of the early church. That's what the apostles all proclaimed throughout the the book of Acts and the birth of the church, and actually throughout the entire New Testament. Here's how the message of the first followers of Jesus was summarized for us in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through uh, the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining everything by the mighty power of his command. After he had provided the means to cleanse us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The children have been singing that message in BBS this week. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. That's a great paraphrase of Hebrews 1. What this passage says is that God's message of love became personal, focused in the flesh in Jesus. The prophets, the religious teachers of old were good and had their purpose, but they weren't getting through to people. And they couldn't accomplish what needed to be accomplished. So God, this divine creator, this uncaused cause of all things that we talked about last week, this this triune being who existed from all eternity, wrapped himself up in human DNA, divinely impregnated a, a Jewish virgin young woman, was born fully human, fully God. As an infant, he lived, he ate, he pooped, he he grew like every human child. And as an adult, he taught that through faith in his sacrificial death, people could be forgiven of their sins and experience a new relationship with the God who had made them. And he didn't just talk about it, he he did it. He died, he, he rose again as he said he would, and he returned to the glory that was once again his in heaven. And he promised that one day he would return to be the judge and ruler of the whole world. That's the message our children were learning in Vacation Bible School. The same message proclaimed by the faithful church around the globe. The simple message, Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, if I could snap my fingers and just do one thing, I would love to be able to get people to see how foolish it is 
to say things like, you know, I admire Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I, I don't accept his claim to be God. I mean, I know we live in an age where logic doesn't mean much anymore. I know people today are very comfortable kind of putting their beliefs together like they're going through the buffet line. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it doesn't seem to bother anyone if the, many of those things are contradictory and answer, actually cancel each other out. But on this one thing, I wish people would see how ridiculous it is to give approval to the moral teachings of Jesus while flatly denying the bulk and the essence of what Jesus actually taught. You see, a man who was only a man and who said the things Jesus said could not be a great moral teacher because the biggest part of his teaching was false. He claimed to be God. If he was wrong about that, if he was wrong about the big stuff, how can he make any claim to be a reliable teacher or a worthwhile example on all the other stuff? It doesn't make sense. If he was wrong about being God in the flesh, then his whole character is compromised. It poisons everything that he said. C.S. Lewis, the renowned scholar at Oxford and Cambridge Universities and the author of the Narnia Tales, outlined the logic of this in this way. He said that there are really only three logical things that you can believe about Jesus. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord of all. Look at it this way. He, he claimed to be God. That is clearly seen in the Gospels. And if someone wants to dispute that, well, that's a whole other kind of discussion. He claimed to be uniquely God. That claim has to be either true or false. He can't, he can't be God and not God. It's got to be one or the other. So let's just suppose that his claim to be God was false. He wasn't God. If the claim was false, then we really only have two alternatives. Either he knew it was false or he didn't know it was false. If he knew it was false and continued teaching something that he knew wasn't true, well, then Jesus was just a liar. I mean, he lied to everybody. He was just some kind of very persuasive con man, a charlatan who, who convinced others of his divinity while he knew he wasn't God at all. If he was a liar, he was also a hypocrite, a guy who told others to be honest, uh, even while he, what he taught and what he lived was just one big colossal lie. If he taught he was God and knew it wasn't true, then Jesus was a liar and a fraud, and there's nothing good about that. Well, let's say he claimed to be God, and he wasn't, but let's say this time that he sincerely believed that he was God. He believed what he was saying. He believed that he was saying to people, even though it was not true. Well, then he was a nut job. I mean, he was a crazy man, a, a lunatic. If he wasn't God, but sincerely believed that he was well, that's like someone who believes they're the real Santa Claus. You'd say that person was, was deluded or, or mentally ill. That kind of person you know, should be medicated, not worshipped. Go to any mental hospital. There are plenty of people who think they are Jesus or God or Moses or Napoleon or you pick who it might be. They've had a break with reality, possibly schizophrenic. Someone who sincerely believes they are divine will spend one day in a homeless shelter and you'll meet a lot of them. That's not the kind of person whose teachings you would want to follow. If Jesus' claim to be God is false, then he was either a liar or a lunatic. There really aren't any other options. The only other alternative 
is that his claim to be God was true, that Jesus was who he said he was, the Lord of all, who is worthy of our worship and our devotion. You see, the issue with these three alternatives, liar, lunatic, or Lord, is not which, three, which of the three is possible, because all three are possible. The real question is, which is most probable? Is it more probable that Jesus was lying, that he was deliberately deceiving his followers, or was it more probable that he was just insane and others got swept up by his insanity? Or is it more probable that what he claimed was true? I mean, if you look at the record of Jesus' life in the Gospels, you have to ask if Jesus displayed any of the symptoms of, of being a liar or a lunatic. If you look at the impact of, the, of his teachings, what they've had on the world, how could the teachings of a liar become the basis for Western civilization for the last 2,000 years? This Jesus who spoke some of the most profound words ever recorded, words that have guided the lives of billions and billions of people over the centuries, that have set many people free, words that have even helped those in mental bondage. Are those the words of a liar or a lunatic? I mean, would a liar keep up his con all the way to crucifixion? Or wouldn't he retract his words before the nails were driven into his hands and feet? Jesus was given every opportunity to make that kind of retraction so that his life would be saved, and he didn't. So was he a crazy man? Did Jesus display, you know, the abnormalities and the imbalances that usually go hand in hand with being mentally ill? I just, I just don't think so. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, a man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any of this patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Well, that's my wish, that people would have sort of the intellectual in integrity to be honest about who Jesus claims to be in the Gospels. You don't have to believe it. People can believe anything they want to about Jesus. But they should at least know that you can't just put him on the shelf by calling him some great moral teacher. That isn't a valid option. People can believe whatever they want to about Jesus, but they should also have the courage to say it's not a Christian belief and not a logical one at that. That's why people who don't really want to think too deeply about who Jesus really is. This is why people kind of like this nice, bland, unthreatening Jesus, because if they ever understood that Jesus is Lord, that really creates a dilemma. It puts it back on us about, well, how do we respond to that? Do we accept or reject his lordship over our lives? And there's the rub. That's what really makes people nervous. If this Jesus stuff is true, that means it's going to require something from me. And I don't want to do that. Jesus once puts the question to people who are following him this way. He said, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 15. That's the most important question you will ever answer. That's the most important question anyone will ever answer. 
liar, lunatic, or Lord. By nailing down the identity of Jesus, well, it can't just be an intellectual exercise. You can't argue people into believing. People have to sense a need in their hearts, a need for wholeness, a need for forgiveness, a need for meaning. It's not the mind that keeps people from faith in Christ. It's the heart. It's the heart that has to be willing to surrender. How's your heart today? Is it stiff? Is it proud? Is it hard? Or is it softening to the love of the Savior? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the time in my life when my mind switched in understanding the logic of belief and understanding the power of who you really were. And I saw that it wasn't an argument in my mind, but a surrender of my heart that was really needed. And I pray that that would continue in us day by day as we seek to follow you, Lord. If there are those here today who don't know that they've surrendered their lives to you, Lord, may they do that even now and just turn and kind of surrender their hearts to you. Help them to know your tremendous grace today. It's in your name we pray.